Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What do you guys think? Did I convince any of you yesterday to take a look at Joel Embiid at number one? No? No? Ah, well. All right. Worth a shot, I guess. So we're into this this quiet time. By the way, hello, everybody. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespers, and this is, as always, a sports ethos presentation. You can cruise on over there and get yourself an all-sport fantasy pass on sale for 7 bucks a month right now. Start it now. Get it before the NBA guide drops, and you get the football guide, and then you'll get the NBA guide, and you'll get all the in-season premium on all of that stuff for $7 a month. It's going up to 10 right around the corner. Don't waste time. Get started now. Come hang out with us. I can certainly speak to the NBA side. I don't really play fantasy football. I don't fully understand it. I know that I've been told by people in the know that our fantasy football draft content is just awesome but I personally don't know what the hell I'm looking at what I do know is that I have never seen anyone keep up with our fantasy basketball side of which I am a part so some of that is a little bit self-serving but just uh just crushing year after year after year Mike Passador, everybody knows Brewski and the B-150. Mike Passador on our NBA side, because he doesn't like social media or human contact of any kind, love you, Panda, uh, is the single best-kept secret maybe in the history of fantasy basketball because very few people know he exists, and he's probably the best fantasy basketball player on earth. And we've got him. We've got him hiding in the nooks and crannies here at Sports Ethos. How long has he been in the 30-deep league? I think he's been in 30-deep for like six years, and he's won it twice with the biggest names in fantasy basketball. Everybody that you know, they just keep smoking him. That's crazy. What a ridiculous win rate. Anyway, uh, he is one of the big brains behind the NBA draft content, so a very good reason to get that early. The other one being the big price savings. You want the best stuff? That's where the best stuff is. There's a lot of stuff out there. Some of it is good. Some of it is decent. Some of it is bad. If you want the best, Sports Ethos Fantasy Pass. So I want to continue our discussion today of what's going on at the top of drafts. Yesterday, as you guys due to the relative quiet in my room right now. I know it's crazy. My children are elsewhere. You could hear me rolling in and out the keyboard tray. I, I mean, there are, there are months where it's so noisy around here, you can't hear that type of thing. I'm like, ah, oh, who's going to hear this pin drop as I drop a pin in the background? Today, you can. This is all I've been waiting for. It's all I've been asking for. And now that I have it, I don't know how to be quiet enough to do a podcast anymore. Whoops. Anywho, yesterday, we talked about the battle at the top. We talked about Nikola Jokic versus the field as the number one pick. And then we said, okay, well, if you're going the field, who are you actually going with? 
And it, I thought the answer was Joel Embiid. He was tied with Jokic on a per-game basis this past season. Nikola beat him by totals because he played in three more games. That's the difference between those guys. Ultimately, we did we talked for 10 minutes about it, but it could be pared down to 10 seconds, which is which of those dudes played in more games. And now you could pare it down to five seconds and say, this coming season, who's going to play in more games? But I actually think that there's a chance that Embiid is the number one player on a per-game basis. And I hope I made that clear yesterday. That was not all just fluff. I'm probably still going Jokic if I have the number one, but I really don't think it's that cut and dry. Is there anyone else, I ask on today's show, that has a valid case to be taken number one? Is it the number two totals player last year, Shea Gilgis-Alexander? Is it the number four player last year, Jason Tatum? I feel pretty comfortable saying it's not the numbers 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> I can go on like this. Totals players last year because those guys were Vooch, Mikhail Bridges, Spida, Demonis Sabonis, Jimmy Butler, Brooke Lopez, Freddie Van Vliet, Christoph Porzingis. Those guys are not going to be the number one player on a per-game basis. The guys that I mentioned, Shea and Tatum, are in the discussion for two very different reasons. Gilgis Alexander was number three per game last year. He played in basically the same number of games as Jokic. One less, two more than Embiid. So that's why he was ahead of Joel in totals value. But is he actually a candidate to be the number one player this year? The only way you can make that reasonable case is to say Shea Gilgis does not, SGA, just do, we'll go with SGA, does not take a substantial step backwards in per game ranking, despite the fact that the guys around him are all getting a little bit better and the addition of Chad Holmgren, and 68 games is not the target. That OKC is going to make a run at a regular playoff spot, so they're going to need him to play, what, 74 games, something like that. If he played in 72 games this last year, he probably basically ties Jokic for the number one spot, more or less. Uh, well, maybe he only needed 71 Either way, you need a little bit more. I think we all probably agree that SGA is not going up from what he did last year. And with the addition of Holmgren and the improvement of other guys around him, in all likelihood, he's asked to actually do just a tiny bit less. But even if you just said it was the same, you still need another three games, probably, in this instance, to catch what Jokic was this last year. And if you, like we talked about yesterday, believe that Joel Embiid might actually get better because if Harden's on the move and somebody comes in that's not Harden, Embiid is going to do more stuff. Pretty amazing. Does he have a head start? So there's an argument there. I don't think it's a great one to take Shea at one, but there's an argument. Basically, you need... A couple of things to happen. You need him to not see any erosion whatsoever, and you need his games played to go up by about 5% of the season. Four games or so. While Jokic also probably takes a small step back, and Embiid doesn't have the step-forward season. So you need a bunch of things to break your way. It's not impossible, because his per-game value was so high last year. It's not impossible, but I would say it's somewhat improbable. Is there anyone else you could make a, a reasonable case to take number one? Could you make a reasonable case to take Anthony Davis? No. Forget the injury stuff for a minute. 
the what had AD, we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show, what had AD at number one those first two months of the season was what ultimately turned out to be a not sustainable free throw number. He was at 83% on very high volume. His other stuff tapered off a bit as he was fighting with various injuries throughout the year. But his free throw went from a medium positive to a medium-sized negative. Blocks, steals, age came down just the tiniest bit, but a lot of the other stuff stayed relatively constant. It was mostly the free throw. Could you make an art? Well, forget, uh, we're not done with Anthony Davis yet. Is there a world where he stays at this level for an entire season? Probably not. Frankly, the Lakers don't need him to be 27 and 13 with three and a half defensive stats on unsustainably high percentages because they brought in a bunch of guys at the trade deadline and then re-signed pretty much all of them. That can actually take a little bit of that load off, particularly on offense. It's just not needed. They don't want him playing 35 minutes a game this year. The Lakers should be, on paper, decent enough to win a bunch of ball games without having an all-world 80-game season from Anthony Davis. So no, he's not going number one, and there's no reason to consider him there. The only reason I brought his name up is because he's a guy that was number one for a stretch last year. Who's another guy that was number one for a little stretch last year? Damian Lillard was number one from, like, January to March. But he asked for a trade out of the place where he would have the most usage, which is Portland. He goes to Miami. He's still going to do a lot, make no mistake, but it's not his team. That's Butler's team. That's Bam's team. Dame is going to have to find his way in. He's not going to be getting 21 shots a night. And if he does get 21 shots tonight, it's going to be because he's not getting seven and a half assists a night because someone's passing him the ball. Nine and a half free throws a game? Probably not. The way that he got to those insane numbers towards the end of the year, and that I think jumps out at a lot of people. He was actually more valuable than Nikola Jokic the final 30 games last season was because he also shot almost 49% from the field. He averaged 36.5 points per game. That's just not happening this year with him, and no one thinks it will. Other guys who are up near Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid in per-game production, Kawhi Leonard, he likely doesn't get over those guys unless there's an injury to Paul George, and a lot of Kawhi's value is, and I don't mind this because you guys know I'm a 9-cat roto guy, a lot of his value is tied up in the fact that he's one of the lower turnover guys among the high first-rounders. He's usually much closer to 2, and a lot of these other guys are more in the 3-4 to four range. Are there any other names we need to consider? Steph Curry would be a name to consider at number 1, but... At this point of his career, I don't think that he has the the juice to do it for a full regular season again, where we're talking about like 30 points a game, five three-pointers, six and six, with over a steal on 50-92 splits, and not crazy turnovers. That, that, I mean, that would get him up into this the discussion, but he's older. It's just not a path I want to go down. What about Kevin Durant? Not on Phoenix. Sorry. We'll make that discussion brief. What about Kyrie Irving? Not on Dallas. We'll keep that discussion brief. And what about Tyrese Halliburton? I do love Tyrese Halliburton. Fantastic game. 
Got priced out last year, as we said, leading up to the draft. I hope you guys listened to that one and didn't go take him at four. This year, if you took him at four, I don't think I've had that big of a deal with it. But one? Yeah, you're not doing that. I mean, it's it's Jokic. It's Jokic's stat set, but without the rebounds. So... And field goal percent. And then, you know, you add a few extra three-pointers. Eh. Eh. We've gone too far. We've jumped the shark on this discussion of who else could go number one. But it does segue nicely into, if none of these guys belong as the number one option on your fantasy draft board, what's the case for the rest of these guys at number two? And did we just make some of it? Suppose we did. We shouldn't call it the case for number two this year because now we've said Jokic and Embiid are in their own little class. So this season, I suppose we need to make this segment of shows the case for number three. And I think we just hinted or touched on a lot of the names that are going to be going that w- in that spot. The few that we didn't mention, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he'll be going up near the top of the board. Luka Doncic, he'll be going up near the top of the board. Each of those guys has a built-in lever, and it's free throws. Free throws are not your thing. Luka becomes a, a reasonable example of someone you could target there. If they're not your thing, Giannis moves up into that range as well. We're mostly going to be treating this podcast, as we have in the past, as a non-punt discussion of what to do with the top of the draft board. Especially, again, I've said this before, when you consider the fact that as fun as Luka is, his 32-8-8 uh, and eight is actually not that far off from someone like a Jason Tatum who doesn't have the any punt category. Which is sort of... I mean, you could come back from Luka's, I guess, but it would take some, it would take some lifting. Because a lot of the guys that would do it for your team are the guys you would be debating against in that first round. But... Let's get into the let's get into the thick of it a little bit now. We've decided over the first 10 minutes of this show that there is no other case for number 1 besides Jokic and Embiid. But there are a lot of cases for number 3. Is it in the names we just wrote down? Is it Shea Gilgis Alexander? Is it Anthony Davis? Is it Kevin Durant? Is it Steph Curry? Is it Damian Lillard? Is it Tyrese Halliburton? Is it Kyrie Irving? Is it Jason Tatum? Is it Kawhi Leonard? Is it Luka Doncic? There are cases for and against every one of those player names, and I'm here to make them for you on not just today's pod, but over the next couple. By the way, shout out to uh, the folks on Twitter, because I I put a note out, or whatever, X, it's X now, sorry, it's X, uh, I threw a tweet out just for the hell of it. This is sort of a quiet time of year. The tweet was like, what are people interested in hearing at this time of year when it is kind of quiet outside and you can hear the crickets chirping? Um, and we got some really good submissions, actually. So we might get into some of that over the next couple of shows as well. We actually had one of our good buddies, Andre, here, uh, type a few to me not on social media so uh, we'll probably get to those in the next week or two while we wait on Yahoo to, to open things up. But for now, I want us to go through some of this case for three philosophy. 
And I don't want to necessarily tell you the answer. I think I kind of told you guys the answer on yesterday's show. Is there one other player you'd look at number one? The answer is yes, and that player is Joel Embiid. Is there a a host of players you could look at at number three? Yes. Is there a clear-cut answer? Well, let's work our way through some of the names and find out. What I'd like to do is kind of group them a little bit. We'll group them a little bit. One of the groups you could say would be the extremely injury-prone guys who very much have a top three fantasy stat set. And those guys are Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant. Group number two would be the big-time guard scorer types who can lift your team in scoring and threes and a pretty good chunk of assists and are also hyper-elite in free throws. Maybe not quite as terrifying from an injury standpoint, even if this last year they their numbers weren't all that far apart from the aforementioned AD and KD. And those guys you would probably call Steph, Dame, and maybe Luka, although we know he's obviously uh, better than a lot of the guards in rebounding. Luka played more games than those other players we mentioned as well. We can then also talk about another grouping, which I think we can probably call the younger players. And this is maybe three of them. The younger players with varying fantasy stat sets who are likely to play a pretty good number of games this year if all goes according to plan, But is it enough to get them into that number three slot? Now, because we had a a 15-minute discussion at the start of this show on how we got to this point and and what does this number three slot mean and is anybody else worth number one, we're not going to do the one that had three names, which is, I would say, Shea, Halliburton, and you can probably lump Jason Tatum in there. I know it feels like Tatum's been around forever, but he's also still extremely young. And I don't think we need to go really any farther along the board than these guys. Like, we're not going to throw Jimmy Butler in the mix because ain't nobody taking him three. I mean, crap, we got him in the 30s last year in some spots, so that's kind of idiotic for us to spend any time on him. Uh, The only other player on the board, I think, right now that you might see trickle into the middle of the first round would be if people get real bullish on LaMelo Ball. But after last year, doesn't really feel like that's happening anyway. So the young guys with varying stat sets that we expect to take a step forward would be, uh, in games played, would be Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton, and then the young player who's still pretty young, can't really take a step forward in games played, but, you know, maybe he gets there because of that, would be Jason Tatum. But today I want to talk about the risk guys, the risk-reward duo. Rhyming syllables, AD and KD. AD and Katie. Sounds like a fun little YouTube show for kids. What do you think's been on the TV at the Vespers household lately? God, there's some bad crap on YouTube for children. Holy moly. No wonder everybody's a moron. <laughs> Said the guy who grew up on what? What was I watching when I was like five or six? DuckTales? That's a great show. Teaches you about capitalism. <laughs> oh... I identify with Flintheart Glomgold. Pretty sick of hearing about Scrooge and his money bin that he can swim in. I'm doing well too, says Flintheart. Why didn't anybody talk about me? Nobody cares about the second richest duck. Kind of want to go watch that show now. We're talking about AD and KD on today's show. 
supposedly, or Dan's going to keep getting lost in thoughts about late 80s and early 90s Disney cartoons. Anthony Davis, and I want to I pivot this discussion not to what they did over the entire season, because Anthony Davis was number four on a per-game basis. Kevin Durant was number five on a per-game basis this year. I'd rather, actually, focus on what they did the first two months of last year. And we're going to start with Kevin Durant, because I think he's the... Uh, silly thing is that he probably... Actually, these guys are probably going to get drafted pretty tight to one another because of the injury stuff. I want to start with Kevin Durant because I think the argument to not take him at number three is an easier one to make and one that most of you listening are going to be like, Dan, why are we even doing this? This is... You're, like, you're getting water out of a well when you got to work in sync. First 30 games last year in the NBA, Kevin Durant was number two in ranking. This is basically first two months, October 18th to December 18th. KD was number two, played almost 37 minutes per game. I think that was second in the NBA at that point to Jason Tatum. No, Donovan Mitchell was ahead of him as well. Either way, super high number. Averaged 30 and a half points, 1.73s, 6.6 rebounds, 5.3 assists. 0.7 0.7 steals, 1.6 blocks on ridiculous 56.5, half splits on 19 field goals and almost 8 free throws per game, and then there were turnovers. But, you know, again, among these high-ranking dudes, there aren't that many guys that don't have that many. AD, of course, would be one of them. I believe... Well, you know, we can actually do this joint on the fly. If you were punting free throws over that stretch... Sorry, punting turnovers over that stretch. Get your get your head in the game. Um, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. Uh, those guys were basically all tied for the number one slot. The turnovers is really what realigned them. But let's not worry about that for now. We'll still we'll just focus on nine cat for the time being, and then you can make the adjustment in your head as we're talking about these guys. Kevin Durant was number two in that stretch. On those crazy numbers you just heard. By the way, the insane part about all this is that Anthony Davis was full-on lapping the league those first two months of the season. There wasn't anybody close. Uh, The gap between Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant, one and two, uh, was effectively like a late third rounder. So there's a pretty big gap between the two of them in terms of overall value for one slot. AD played in fewer games, but we're looking at a per game right now. Is there an argument to be made for Kevin Durant at number three in his new digs in Phoenix? Uh, probably not. And you can look back and you can say, well, like, if you go back to the Warriors years, Kevin Durant, which I think was, what year did he have that insane breakout season? Was that 16, 17? It was a year where Kevin Durant was number one. Yeah, 2016, 2017. It's not a breakout season, but his efficiency was so high in Golden State, that he spanked the league. And the funny thing is that his numbers this last year were almost better than that. That season, he was at 25 points, two threes, eight boards, five assists, so better rebounding numbers. 2.7 combined steals and blocks, so that was a little bit better as well, but 54-88 splits, is his. those were better this last year. Turnovers were lower. But he won it with efficiency in a year where, frankly, you know, people weren't as efficient. That was just nature of that beast. You didn't have half the league apparently shooting like 92% at the free throw line. 
And Kevin Durant was way out in front that year on a per-game basis. But I don't want to call that like a cheapo win for KD, but it kind of was a little bit of a cheapo win. That was the last time we saw Kevin Durant in a real big three mentality, which is what they have now in Phoenix. And I'm not including DeAndre Ayton in that discussion. I'm talking about Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. These are all guys that over the course of their career are accustomed to taking 20 shots per game and having very high usage. The the statement that there's only one basketball is sort of, what's the term? Is that reductive? A little bit. It's kind of dumb. But it also does apply in certain instances. And when there's a big three, certain things can happen. You can see everybody give a little bit of the pie back, which has happened. We've seen examples of that. You can also see instances where one player in the big three gives a slightly larger larger chunk of the pie back. We saw that with Chris Bosh. We saw that with Kevin Love. I wish we could cite the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden big three, but those dudes basically never played together. All that to say, the reason that Kevin Durant was able to post such gaudy numbers the first two months of this last year is that he was taking 19.5 shots per game and almost eight free throws. That's an offensive burden we are unlikely to see from KD this coming season in Phoenix. Now, I know he turned an ankle before he was able to make his home debut, and so his actual regular season games with the Suns were limited to what, like eight, something like that? But it is worth noting that in those eight games, he played 34 minutes a game, and maybe that goes up to 36, we'll see, and took 16 shots and six free throws. And the percentages were still wonderful, and he still always does a little bit of everything, and he was ranked 16th over that span, which is, by the way, uh, deflated by slightly lower free throw percent and slightly lower steals numbers. But the other stuff is pretty repeatable. So Kevin Durant in Phoenix is not going to be all that different from Kevin Durant in Golden State. The only difference is that the rest of the NBA does more now. Like if you stacked Kevin Durant's 16-17 season, where he was the number one fantasy player per game, up against the competition that just rolled through this last year, 25-2-8-5, with a steal, 1.6 blocks, and good percentages in both, that's very good. But, you know, that's not that far off from... Who's a good example of what we're looking at here? Like, the... Call it... Let's say late season Kawhi? Is that the right example here? Kawhi, over the course of the season, uh, not that far off from those numbers, by the way, his blocks would were lower. But for the full season, what that was without KD's blocks was ranked 13th. So it would be better than that. But is it good enough for number three? And that was when he was his number one year. I mean, let's say, uh, like, we could replicate that. Okay, fine. Maybe the better thing to look at is what did Kevin Durant do This season, when you roll it all together and just extrapolate from there, which is 
at 18.3 shots per game over the entire season. He was number five per game. If he takes fewer shots, that probably goes a little bit lower. Now, there was a gap between Durant and the guy behind him, which was Steph Curry, but you know, even if he doesn't fall down all the way to that next slot, even if he does end at number five per game, is that enough? Isn't that pretty far behind now, some of the guys that were in front of him? You're not going to have to worry about it because no one's taking Kevin Durant at three, but I think there's a pretty good argument that he should not go there. I do think there's a decent argument that he shouldn't fall as far as he has been because I think a lot of folks are looking at it and they're like, oh, well, down the stretch this year, uh, Kevin Durant played eight games and he was a second rounder for Phoenix and that's what he's going to be this season. I wouldn't jump to that conclusion because his steals and blocks were super low over those eight games. He didn't really have his legs underneath him. He possibly ramps up a tiny bit more, but even if he doesn't, you look at some of the peripheral stuff and say, okay, well, that was a little bit weird low and that was small sample size stuff. I think there's a very real chance that KD is still like a top eight, top nine per game guy, even in this very log jammy situation, but it ain't number three. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. What about Anthony Davis? What about him? Well, before we tell you about Anthony Davis, we got to remind you guys to check out our buddies over at calderalab.com and use promo code ETHOS to get 20% off your order. Ethos is the promo code. You can also just go to calderalab.com slash ethos so you don't have to worry about entering the promo code later. That will also get you 20% off because the system will do it by itself for you. Isn't that nice of them? Two minutes over the course of your day. A minute in the morning, a minute in the evening. Clean slate, icon, base layer, and good. The four products make up Caldera Labs regimen to take care of your skin on your face. For years, we've told you about how to get the hair off of you. Now we're telling you how to make the skin underneath that look good. Start with the clean slate, the icon, and the base layer in the morning. Finish your day off with the clean slate. That's a wash. The icon and the good at night. That's how easy it is. 20 seconds on each of those things. Six things to do over the course of the day. 20 seconds apiece. That is two minutes to reduce the signs of aging in your appearance. Stop looking so grizzled and haggard from an 
years in the sun or raising children or whatever it is that's making you feel old and beat up and start looking young again with male skincare product from calderalab.com. Ethos gets you 20% off. That's that promo code. Once again, go check them out right now. AD of the AD and KD duo. AD and KD just rolling down the road. Anthony Davis was number one the first two months of last year on the shoulders of a pretty crazy fantasy stat set. 27.5 points, 12 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.3 steals, and 2.1 blocks. Almost 60% from the field on 17 shots per game. He was the second best field goal percent player in the NBA by volume. Third best, excuse me, because Zion was still upright at that point. Behind Zion and Nikola Jokic. His free throw was a net positive, eight free throws a game at 82.5%, so that was not hurting him yet. And he was the one guy inside the top 10 who had fewer than two turnovers per game. In fact, he was the only player inside the top 10 who had fewer than 2.7 turnovers per game over the season's first two months, which, of course, does a couple of things. Number one, makes him less appealing in eight-category formats, although even when you punted free throws, he remained basically in a dead heat with Kevin Durant, uh, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid, for whatever that's worth. And if you're playing in a league where you are planning on being competitive in any way in turnovers, not getting that gigantor number um, from your first or second round pick is a great way to be a uh, pretty frequent winner in that category. We all know the reasons not to take Anthony Davis at number three. Body health being easily the biggest of them and free throw number being sort of a distant number two, but also a very relevant distant number two, because he hasn't shot 83% at the foul line in quite some time now. That's a number that's bounced around a lot. In the second half of this year, he was much closer to 75%, and that evened out into the high 70s, which, again, doesn't kill you, but it was only good enough to keep him at number four overall in per-game numbers. And then, of course, you got that 56 games played thing sticking out at you like a sore thumb. Are there reasons to consider Anthony Davis at number three? Um, You know, similar to the reasons you could look at Kevin Durant and consider him at number three, there are reasons to say that Anthony Davis has a shot at that spot. You could argue that some of his decreased performance this year was because he was playing through foot soreness for part of the year, and I'm inclined to believe that that's probably true. I mean, Anthony Davis in the playoffs was insane, four or five blocks a game. You're not going to get that guy throughout the regular season. Anthony Davis has been a legit number one in fantasy before, not in sort of a league down season. He can put that together because of his unique combination of stats. And if you think that Everybody in the top cluster continues to play like 67, 68 ball games a year. Anthony Davis is not at all out of it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could get to that range of games played, which again, that's not going to be enough to get him into the number one slot, but might it be enough to get him into that number three? It's a possibility. You know, what if he is top three per game? And all he's got to do is stay really close in games played to the guys behind him. 5% chance? Maybe. 10%? Maybe. Probably not. 
But there is a case to be made because that combination of getting your big man stats, all of your big man stats rolled up together, plus really good steals, plus doesn't kill you in free throws. He doesn't help you the way that some of these other guys, like a Joel Embiid, do out of the big man department. But again, like you're looking at a hyper elite blocks number, not JJJ hyper elite, but very, very good. Hyper elite rebounding for AD, good scoring, great field goal percent. It's a pretty damn good start to your team. And if we've wiped Jokic and Embiid off the board, now you're competing with who for that number three slot? Just these other players that we're talking about. Like, it's obvious you're not going to take Anthony Davis over a Jokic or an Embiid because you're getting a different big man who's more reliable and better in most of the key categories than Anthony Davis is. But if you're comparing him to Kevin Durant, who we just talked about, or Steph Curry or Damian Lillard or whatever, could he beat those guys in games played? He could, yeah. In fact, only one of those dudes played more games than AD this year, and that was Dame by two. The only player in this big group we've been talking about that really beat him up in games played was Shea Gilgis-Alexander this last year. He was at 68. And he's going to be a tough one, by the way, to talk us out out of for that three spot, but we'll we'll do our due diligence here. Is anybody listening to this podcast actually considering Anthony Davis at number three? No, obviously not, because he's going to probably get drafted around the turn, and so you don't even really have to consider it. But is there a chance he actually ends the year there? It's not insane. Is it more or less likely that Joel Embiid finishes one or Anthony Davis finishes three? I think it's more likely that Embiid finishes one then AD finishes three by totals, just because that body of his, man, you just can't trust it. Every time he goes down, you hold your breath. Plus, I have this thought that Anthony Davis has IBS, and he has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the ball game, and so he runs off to the locker room, and you know he looks like he's going to redo his shoe, but he's actually making a poo or something like that. I have no facts to uh, substantiate this claim. It's completely pulled out of the sky, but damn it, it makes me chuckle, so I'm throwing it out there. But Anthony Davis does have the fantasy game to be a top two or top three guy. So you're just wearing the injury thing there. And it's why when he started to slip into the late, early, middle second round last year, everybody started scooping him up. Because you're like, this is a guy I'm going to get at 15 who could be the number one player in fantasy. That's pretty different than having to take him at like seven where you wear all of that risk. So would I take Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant at number three this coming year? The answer is a pretty firm probably not. Does either of them have a shot to be the number three player in fantasy this year? I think Anthony Davis has a shot. But he's going to have to get to about 67 ball games if he wants to have a look at it. Because, honestly, he might have the best shot of anybody on the board of being the number three per game player this year. I think there's a chance he passes Shea Gilgis-Alexander But the odds of him remaining upright long enough to stay in front of the guys behind him by totals, pretty low. That was fun. I like yelling about individual players. I don't know if it's going to matter at all in a month, but we're doing it and we're having fun with it. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This was Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Again, please do check out our buddies at Caldero Lab and the uh, 
Fantasy Pass. All Sport Fantasy Pass. That's the bad boy you're going to want to gather. And hit me up on Twitter if you have any thoughts about things that you might want to hear about this time of year. Josh on Twitter was asking about some of the new stuff at Sports Ethos. We're going to be happy to talk about that as we get a little bit closer to the start of the season. But if you are contemplating a purchase right now, I'm more than happy to interact with you individually over on social media. At Dan Bespris, after I make a popping noise with my mouth, at Dan Bespris on Twitter and threads. Uh, Again, as long as TweetDeck is working, you will find me over on Twitter. And right now, it is working, so you will find. What is today? Today's Thursday, right? Awesome. One more show this week. We're into August, man. We're on the count up now. Forget the countdown. We'll get there. Don't worry. Have a great Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long for now.